And now, someone is here to pluck the weeds out of our minds. Please welcome Dr. Reverend Patrick Cameron. Good morning. I want to... Uh, I went and got th- picked up three roses this morning. Uh, it was a, a very... Uh, uh, impactful week, and I want to share that with you because I know many of you are affected by some things that have happened over the last week. And the, uh, these roses represent three people that made their transition this week, and they're connected to our community in, in a variety of ways. And I'm going to talk about that a bit today and, and how we look at that. But um, the first person that I um, want to dedicate the red rose to as we go into our prayer in our song is to uh, Gordon Standard, and Gordon is was married to uh, Ron, uh, Wendy Lajeunesse's um, mother, and she made her transition a few months ago. And Gordon had set the intention to join her, and he made his transition. He was 90 years old, made his transition this past week. Along with that, we're doing a memorial here Tuesday for uh, Mary Patricia White. And I don't know if all of you remember her, but she was a volunteer. Her, She went by Pat, and we're going to do her memorial at 1 o'clock on Tuesday. This is also easy to do inside my head before I get here, by the way. Anyway, uh, good to keep breathing. Uh, and then a young man that, uh, whose, whose family is very much connected to this community, although we don't see them a lot. Uh, his body was found in the Mill, Mill uh, Woods uh, Ravine, a 24-year-old, Alex Thomas uh, Haig. And his mother, Lorna Thomas, and his dad, Phil Haig, uh, have been part of this community. I just saw, I did, Lorna just brought her niece here two weeks ago to discuss doing her wedding. And so I know the body was found. And uh, <clears throat> I'll speak about it a bit more today. But uh, what I'd like to do is dedicate our prayers today to them. And what I know about intentional prayer is it's powerful. It's powerful. Our prayers are not begging and pleading and it's setting an intention. And to offer our unconditional love in this song and in our prayer that we come together in today is a very powerful thing. It's transformative. And so with that, let's sing. And if you'd like to stand and sing with me, fantastic. If not, please stay seated. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power. To walk through our every fear For spirit One spirit Is in this very room In this very room In this very room 
And so I know as we come together today, as we choose it, it chooses us. This presence, this power, this consciousness is eminent and always available in and through and as each and every one of us, everywhere we look, everything we touch, see, and sense is spirit. And so what I know in this moment is as we hold unconditional love in our hearts, whatever that means for us, as we open to that experience, and maybe it is a remembrance of a grandparent or a parent or a friend or a a wonderful experience, but whatever transforms us and transports us into that awareness of unconditional love, may we offer that to all the families, to this spiritual community and to all the families affected by loss and change, by transformation and by transition. And so we are a cubicle, an incubator, a crucible that holds the shape and this, this molten lava of unconditional love fills every, every aspect of it and permeates out into the world. This is my knowing. This is my declaration. This, I know, is alive and dynamic here and now by means of each and every one of us collectively and individually. And so I know that wherever love is necessary, wherever love is called for, we extend it unconditionally. For there is enough. I just give thanks for beautiful, powerful spiritual teaching to come together in the celebration of life. To stand not only in the joy and the celebration, but at times like this to stand together in the sorrow. Where one person's sorrow becomes a sorrow of many. And we carry one another beautifully and powerfully, energetically. In our thoughts and our words and our conveyance of compassion, of empathy and extending our love. And so I give thanks this day knowing that everything that is necessary for each and every one of us to hear and experience and be and do and say is made clear in this moment. For this I give thanks. Together we say, and so it is. Thank you, Brown. What a treat. How many... You keep bringing family members to sing every week for a while. Okay. A couple more weeks. Good. Oh. Well, I've been uh, using uh, Dennis Merritt J- Jones's book, um, "The Art of Uncertainty," to to uh, build some ideas around, and, and uh, it's a wonderful book. I know I know many of you have, have we sold like eighty copies of this book, which is really a lot of books for us because we don't usually order that many, and it's still there's still a few copies in the bookstore. In in chapter thirteen. Dr. Dennis talks about, uh, he starts out with a a quote from Deepak Chopra. He said that, and and, and the idea today is without a destination, no road is the right road. So without without knowing where we're going, no road is ever the right road. Deepak says this, attention, attention energizes, and intention transforms. Attention energizes, and intention transforms. Whatever you put your attention on will grow stronger in your life. And whatever you t- whenever you take your attention away from what w- will wither, what you take your attention away from will wither, disintegrate, and disappear. Intention, on the other hand, triggers transformation of energy and information. Intention organizes its own fulfillment. Intention organizes its own fulfillment. And so what we know about that, and what, what I know to be true, is that when we set an intention and we continue to, to work with that, our lives are transformed. When we, we've been doing, uh, Laura and I are, t- are taking and facilitating the seventh uh, version of Prosperity Plus. And one of the cornerstones of that class, and it's the curriculum by Mary Mann and Morrissey, is creating a vision statement for one's life. 
And so it's interesting to watch people sort of struggle with the fine-tuning of language, and the vision statement will be like five pages long, and they'll say, this is too long to read every day, and I said, we'll shorten it up, shorten it up. But it's to work, it's, it's, and that's the part of the attention, the awareness, and then the intention that can move us forward. But we also find that along the way that there are, there are obstacles, there's resistance, there's things that happen in our lives that, that uh, can continue to distract us. And when they, do, when they consistently continue to, tr- to take us off course and to distract us, then it's an opportunity to do, go to work on ourselves to move that aside, to, to, to dismantle that belief structure. One of the universal belief structures that's very popular is that I'm not good enough. <clears throat> and I think when, I didn't know Alex, my, my, uh, my son Davis went to school with his sister at uh, uh, Victoria School for the Performing Arts. And um, I didn't even know it was Lorna's son until I, w- I got up this morning and I got an email from someone and I went, oh my gosh, I didn't know that was Lorna's um, son. But what I know about that is that when, when so when we took, talk about the, the transitions that, that folks make, uh, I know for, for Gordy, 90 years old, his beloved passed away, and he was ready. He'd had a, you know, he, he said, I'm ready. I'm ready to go join her. And so at 90 years old, it's kind of, it's very sweet, you know. It's like, you know, a wonderful, wonderful kind of thing, and a, a beautiful realizing that his intention, his attention, was on the loss of his beloved, and his intention was to join her. And so at 90, we can all understand that, and sort of it's, it's, it's less impactful. With uh, Pat White, 55 years old, passed away in her sleep. But what I know about that as well is, and, and a wonderful thing about this is that last month we talked about Anita Marjani's book, Dying to Be Me, and she actually p- passed away and was resuscitated, came back, and had this almost in- instantaneous healing. But life is eternal. Nobody dies. The physical body dies. But it's very difficult at times like this, especially when we have a young man like Alex who is 24 years old. And, and what happened for him was that life got so difficult that the belief that I'm not worthy or I'm not good enough became so strong, he decided to, to end his own life. And that, that is a whole different uh, um, experience because what's involved with that is the loss of many dreams. It's the death of his dream. It's the death of his parents' dream. It's the death of all that loved and supported him's dream about the potential and the possibility of life for him. And I think what happens in the world and what takes great courage to do, especially our teaching, the spiritual teaching, well, you know, people will come in and all of a sudden they'll find the affirmations that they love and they'll start to, use, to do the affirmations. They'll layer the affirmations over the, the suffering and pain that they've developed over years and years. But our teaching also requires us to look deeply and to pull it closely and to dismantle it and say, is this really true about me? Is it really true I'm not enough? Is it really true I'm not good enough? And so for whatever reason, Alex's journey ended much, in my opinion, and probably all of our opinions, much too soon. But life is eternal. And what I know is that he's also been received with loving, in the loving grace as he stepped through that threshold. But it's still very sad. It's a wake-up call. Lorna was on TV this morning. I looked at it, and she had thanked everybody for looking because he was missing for several days. And they, and they mobilized the Riverdalians to go look for him. And uh, she said, I'm so grateful for all the help. I'm also grateful, as, as sad as this is, for the closure because we finally know where he is. 
she also said something very significant. She said that that the young men between the ages of 17 and 24 are the most likely to take their own lives. It's a very pivotal point in their lives. Very, very pivotal point in their lives where there's a lot of things that are happening. And as a young man, I know that I, the, the blessings that occurred in my life as a result of my, my, that the people that I, I gathered around me and supported me, not, not consciously, but that were there, was such a gift as I look back. Because all of us have been there. All of us have been in despair. All of us have been tremendously saddened at times. It's part of life. And, and yet, to, to understand, if we don't understand, as Ernest Holmes said, that, that the central principle of this teaching, and I believe of, of, of spiritual teachings, is that God is an internal and everlasting essence. All phenomena appearing in the natural world are manifestations of the spiritual world, the world of causes. Our thought is an instrument of divine mind. So Holmes used to say that to learn how to think is to learn how to live. To learn how to think is to learn how to live. And when I was 17, thinking about Alex, and I started thinking, really reflecting on this um, quite strongly this morning, I had an opportunity, I was given a scholarship to go through a program called Outward Bound. And it's still around, and it's a program where they take groups, and they take young people, men and women, and, and business organizations, and they have a variety of different programs. But I was 17, never been away from home before. I never went into the military. But, but what happened was I went and I, I, I spent a month with a group of 12 strangers. And we were, we were faced with a number of physical challenges, which, which uh, challenged us not only physically but emotionally and spiritually. And it was wonderful because it shocked me out of my, my, my sort of habitual ways of thinking. And it gave me a whole new perspective coming back out of that. We were up in the boundary waters of northern Minnesota and southern Ontario it shocked me out of that awareness and I thought what a blessing to have that experience because what happened was it propelled me into the mystery of life it propelled me into the unknown and standing in the unknown and, and all the things I sort of you know relied on at that at point in time because all I knew at that point in time was living in the left side of my brain which is the egoic nature that driven behavior go 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 I had no connection very little connection consciously of the right side of my brain where the angels live that's, the, that's that where we move into that spiritual realm of when we're here listening to a song. The music transports us into that right side of our brain. But I had very little experience there. But when I came back, I was sort of jarred into standing in both realms. And then I, and then I realized that life was not as scary as I thought it was. I just didn't have all the answers that I, I so desperately wanted. That that left side of my brain so, so desperately wanted. And so, of course, I'm, I'm filtering, you know, Alex's experience with my own. Because it's the only, it's the only uh, canvas I have to paint it on. Whether that's right or wrong, but as I do the reflective thinking about it, and as I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm mourning this with you as I share this. There's a, actually, there's a 1.30 today, they're doing a potluck down at the uh, Riverdale um, Community Center. So, Laura, I told Laura, when we get done here, well, let's run down there. And, and just offer our condolences. But the point is, is that when things like this happen, especially so close to home, it's a wake-up call. It's a wake-up call. How can I be more uh, mindful when I'm around everyone? 
and, and understand that, and be able to, to hold the high watch of consciousness, that this, this high altar of consciousness, as practitioners, as ministers of this, what we do is we go, we, it, what we're asked to do is to, to continue to hold a high watch in consciousness, which is that everyone is that eminence of that pervasive presence of spirit. Everyone. And so then what is your intention? What is my intention? You know, as I stand here and I, in my evolution, I've been here with you 10 years. I don't think you get good at this until you've done this at least like 100 years. So I don't know if I'll live long enough, but I'm working on it. But the point is, is that if I set the intention, I wrote this down before I came out because I said, what is my intention? My, sta- my intention with, with my life is to stand in love in the Christ consciousness. And, I, and that's what Ernest Holmes said. He said, you know, we don't believe that. It is, we believe that, it, as Jesus said, it, it is the Father within. That the kingdom of heaven is within all of us. Paul wrote about it. Jesus talked about it. And so we don't look at Jesus as the great exception, but as a great example to inspire our lives and live from that. But how do we stand? So if I set that intention and then people, and then people uh, disappoint me, how do I stand in the love with someone and people disappoint me? How do you stand in love with someone and someone, and, and someone tells a lie about you? Because that, that left side of my brain wants to make it right. And, and the right side of, my, side of my brain, as Jesus would say, as, as Pontius Pilate said, thou sayest thou art king of the Jews. And, or, you say that you're king of the Jews, and Jesus said, thou sayest. Never defended it. Because he understood it was projection. It was Pontius Pilate's story about him. Through the experience that he filtered it. But how, so how do you do that when you say, and so what do you do when, worst case scenario, what do you do when you disappoint yourself? What if you've made an intention and you're going to stop drinking for the rest of your life? And you slip. Or you're going to go on a new uh, nutrition program and you're going to lose the 10 pounds or whatever it is you'd like to, you know, you'd like to be more fit and healthy. And you, all of a sudden you have a bad night and you get the, the blazed potato chips out and the sour cream dip that you love so much. What do you do? Well, you could spin out in it. You could say, there I am, I'm not enough. I made these commitments and I'm not enough. And I quit, I give up. Or you can say, you know what? You did the best you know how. You had a bad moment. And you forgive yourself. You forgive yourself because it is so self-indulgent to spin out, and I, listen, I know from experience, I'm not pointing at you, to spin out and then, oh my God, there I screwed up again. How fast, my, my whole day is, I'm telling you, I go from over here to over here, left to right, left to right, left to right. Oh, there I am, judging myself, criticizing myself. There I haven't done enough. I've let the community down. I've let my family down. I've let, on and on and on and on and on. Wow. Spiritual practice is not beating ourselves up over and over and over again. But the fear that I think that what the culture has is that if we start to affirming our, our divinity, people think we're, we're standing in front of everybody saying, I'm special. I'm special. I'm more special than you are. Because I'm special. Because God appeared to me last night and said to me, you're special. But, that's, but people think that's what we're talking about by affirming our perfection. Perfection is a given. Perfect, the Alex is perfect. You know, my son, my, one of my greatest teachers in my life, I, I mean, I, I, if, you, if you disagree with me and you get up and walk out when I say this, I'll understand. Because, I, listen, I, 
I totally support you disagreeing with me. I do. I can't do any other thing if you disagree with me. And I know I'm preaching to the choir. But what, but, but what I mean by that is we have to support the discourse. We have to support the variety of opinions because all of it is valued and it's where people are in consciousness. That's standing in love. It's not standing in love together and saying, I'm right and you're wrong. It's just saying, I hear you. So when people come to me with criticism and say, you know, you're this or you're this or you're this, you're not demonstrating the Christ consciousness fully. I think, I agree with you. I'm a human being just like you. Believe me, if there were other things I could be doing besides this, I'd be doing them. But I know that this was a call for me to answer. So what it is, is it's, it's, it's the willingness to stand in that that conversation, and when people come at us with their opinions, to be able to simply listen and say, thank you, but I don't agree with you. I don't agree with you. You have an opinion about me. We had an experience, and you felt that I was inappropriate in some way. But my inappropriateness, at times, if anything, I get impatient. I have people that, that, that I look at the, the, our teaching, I look at our tradition, and I have really high expectations for our practitioners, for our ministers. I say, let's use this teaching to heal our lives. Let's use this teaching to move aside these restrictions. Let's use this powerful prayer that I'm using every day. I got up this morning. Laura went in one room. I went in the other. We got our clicker 70 times. I release, I, right now I'm working with, I release in my belief there's, not, there's only so much, which puts me into doubt. I release my need to doubt, and I'm grateful God is the freedom I am. Do it 70 times every day. And when I get done with this one, I'm going to go on to another one because I've got a lot of layers to clean. Because what I know, if I don't do that work, see, I have a vision for our community. I stepped into a community that was in discord. They sent me the packet to come up here four or five times. I kept throwing it away because I knew what was here. I knew what had happened. I said, I don't want to take that on. That's awful. That was my perception. Oh, don't go to Edmonton. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I won't. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. And finally, Laura and I, the right people approached us. And we just, and we got here and we said, you know what? People are making up scary stories about this stuff. Let's go do the healing work. Let's go do our own healing work. And, and maybe some people would be inspired to do that. And so we're here to do this work. And, and when we do it, when we become clearer, and, and maybe I will never be the, to stand in love fully in the Christ consciousness, but by, I've tried it every other way. I've tried being the, 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 the hallway monitor in my life and writing up slips for everybody passing by my field of awareness because they don't measure up. But it's not very powerful spiritual practice. And so when we have these things that come into our lives, my son Matthew is 17, or I don't know how old he is now, but when he was 17... I can't keep track of them. They just keep growing and they have birthdays. I wish it was like our family. Eleven kids, we'd have one birthday in October for everybody. <laughs> Happy birthday. We're going to sing it once. We're getting one cake. There you go. <sighs> and then I'd get my sister's blouse and she'd get my flannel shirt and we'd just swap. You know, it was very easy. We'd, we, we sort of self-managed all of it. It was a little overwhelming for my mom and I understand. But when, when Matthew was 17, I knew when Matthew was born that my son Matthew was gay. Oh, I set that up for you that you might leave. When Barack Obama came out for gay marriage, I thought, oh my God, thank you. Thank you so much. You know, people have asked me over time, you know, do you tolerate gays in your community? I said, nah, we don't tolerate gays in our community. We celebrate everybody. 
There's no toleration going on here, because it's life. So, I'm telling you, we need this energy on the planet. We need people pushing that feminine energy. We need people pushing that creativity. We need push, people pushing us. So my son, Matthew, I knew when he was three years old, I to, I've told the story. But maybe you haven't heard it. It's a great story. I love the story. I love telling the story. But I took him down to get his first pair of tennis shoes. No, he was four and a half. He was going to school. And so I said, here you go. Let's get some black and white kids, and you'll be looking sharp and running around. And he says, no, 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 I don't want those shoes. I want the pink and white ones with the lights that flash on the back when you run. And I'm like, Really? He says, yeah, I want the pink and white ones with the lights. And really, yes, yeah. Oh. So we argued for an hour and a half. Standing this you really don't want those shoes, son, because I'm worried about how people are going to treat him. I'm scared for him. Finally, I said, okay, we're doing it. We get the shoes. Comes home. I pick him up on Monday from school. I said, how'd it go? He says, I am never going back there. <laughs> what happened? They made fun of my shoes. <laughs> go figure. But... I mean, he, he, did, he showed up this way in a beautiful way. And we never talked about it. When I was 17, I talked to my two stepsons. And they, everybody knew, knew except Dad, of course. And, uh, but I, I mean, I, I, I was very aware of it growing up and just watching him unfold. So finally, he was here one time, and I took him to, we went to lunch somewhere. And I said, you know, does your mom ever talk about it you da- I said, when you date? And he said, no, it's none of our business. No, okay. I said, well, you know, I could be wrong, Matthew, but I, I, my sense is that you're gay. He said, yep, I am. And I said, well, I just need to tell you how much, how much I love you. I'm proud of you. And I said, my biggest concern with all this is that you, you, that you would put yourself in harm's way in some way. Isn't that crazy? 2012, we worry that people would, would, uh, would hurt somebody because of their sexual orientation. So it used to be color of the skin or it used to be nationality, and it still is in certain areas. But it's just interesting to watch how we do life. And so he said, well, Dad, if I was heterosexual, would I have to tell you? Mm-hmm. Probably not. But I just needed to have the conversation with him. And I, but I think about him, and if I had had different biases, and I'm not patting myself on the back, I was just in authentic relationship with him. I wasn't I mean, I just wanted the conversation to be authentic, and I wanted him to know how much I loved and, and cared for him, and, and still do. But, you know, I thought about Alex this morning, and I thought about my experience with Matthew, and how important it is that we honor, when we see one another from the perspective that everyone is an individualized expression of the infinite, then how can you judge one another? People will do things that you have to say. My role here, people do things that go off the tracks. So I'll have to say, well, no, we don't do that here. Do this. Let's do, use this teaching. Let's use the teaching to get through this. And some people do that and some people don't do that. I called Ken Gordon one time. We were going through a big change here about a year and a half ago. Things were all happening. Things were up in the air. And he said, well, have you stolen any money? And I said, no. He says, have you been drunk and slovenly? I said, no. Have you been chasing girls in the congregation? I said, no. He said, well, then just people are just leaving because they don't like you. That's fantastic, isn't it? He said, yeah, I can live with that. But, but the reason is because my, my role here is to, add, to expect the highest and the best of everybody. As a practitioner, do your prayer work. As a minister, do your prayer work. I'm, dismantle this. Let's stand together in love. I'm for the love. I'm for the freedom and the celebration and the abundance. But, but it, what it is, and Marshall Sutton says that, you know, our, our, it's so what, but what that is, when we get hooked by it, 
And what I know Alex was going through when he took his life, he was in hell. Hell on earth. And, and what we want to give birth to is heaven. And Marcia Sutton says, you know, we're giving birth to heaven on earth here. But, in the, but to get there, you've got to go through hell. And I think, yeah. But wouldn't it be great to be able to have that conversation with our 17 to 24-year-old young men and women and say, and, and that's what happens at teen group. There's a beauty, there's a magnificence, there's a perfection within you that, can, that is untouched. That as you move aside all these, this, this left brain chatter has an opportunity to, to emerge. That's a gift to everyone. But it's getting there. And I know it's, and it, it requires diligence. It, Dr. Dennis talks about it in, in the, I got all kinds of stuff here. Sorry I got rolling on Alex this morning. He talks, about, he talks about his dog, Mac, MacDougall. I've met MacDougall, Dr. Dennis Mark Jones. He's, about, he's a small horse is what he is. And he talks about training him. And he talks about this, having this 55-pound puppy trying to train him. And he talks about the, the importance of being here now. The practice is to keep on keeping on and coming back to the present moment until your mind gets that this is where you want it to sit and stay. To sit and stay. And to focus its attention. He said, there's little difference between training a dog and teaching your mind how to pay attention to your intentions. In, pay attention to your intention. It takes practice. It takes practice. It takes years and years and years of practice. It requires patience, persistence, loving kindness, discipline, and time. Allowing the puppy mind to have its way with us is a great way to avoid paying attention to our intention of moving from where we are to where we want to be. If we are not committed to intentionally navigating our lives with vision, any current moment, trauma drama, will pull us off course and we will lose sight of the shoreline, our goals and destination, our reason and our purpose for being. And this is what happens. But when we have, when we have the foundational piece of who, the truth of who we are, not because we're special, but because there's a perfection. We are here, the individualized expression. There's no accident we're here together, giving birth to this. There's powerful things happening. Powerful things happening on the planet. And I know that. I want to be part of that. My vision for our community is when, when my run is done here, in another hundred years, when my run is done here, I want to be able, the people that step into this can take it to the next level of, of whatever it is so it can flourish. So it's powerful and wonderful. I was at the second cup yesterday and I saw this adorable, beautiful little blonde lady that used to come with her husband all the time and I, I hadn't seen her in months and so I because ta- people are always saying, why are people leaving? So I thought, I better ask her why she's leaving and I tapped her on the shoulder. And she said, oh, how are you doing? And she gave me a big hug. She said, we moved to Lloydminster. I said, you, you mean you left because you, you didn't, not, you hated me or you just moved to, no, we just moved to Lloydminster. But she said, but I still listen to the podcast every week. I thought, fantastic. And it was great to see her. See, this is a community of thousands. We have about 3,000 people a week that listen to our podcasts. You know, there's, there's a few hundred people here, whatever it is, and we'll have some more at the second service. But there's, there's, there's thousands of people that get to share in this consciousness. So as we come together as a community and hold it together and hold the high watch for one another, in, to stand in love to the best of our ability, all we've got to do is the best we can do right now. And, and, and to examine our own inner being and saying, am I judging someone or am I revenging myself mentally because someone has harmed me or done something that disappointed me in some way? Because that's, that's just a boondoggle of mental activity. 
But to have the, be, have the awareness say, you know what, this is time for forgiveness. And what it's telling me, if it's telling me I'm not good enough, then as I release my belief, I'm not good enough. Which might put me into sadness or might put me into anger. I release my belief, I'm not good enough. I release my need to be angry or at least my need to be sad. And I'm so grateful God is the wisdom or the love or the freedom or the joy that I am. And I, I do this physically because we, we handle it mentally. But it's locked in our bodies. It's powerful work. It's powerful work. I got invited this week to be part of the uh, co-creation for our whole movement. And this is part of, this is part of an aff- affirmative prayer I've done. The, the, our whole movement is moving towards this co-creation within the whole culture. To make it part of, because what we're ready to do as a movement is to take it to the next level of depth. The next level of vibrancy. It's not just about the law of attraction. Setting an attention and bringing more junk into our lives. Anybody need any junk? Come on by my place. I got plenty of it. Give you something. I got broken shovel handles. All kinds of good stuff. So, what we do in moments like this, when, when those, those tragedies show up, when someone says, that's too painful for me to go on, that I know I'm not good enough, in my heart of hearts what I've embodied is I'm not good enough. And they, and they terminate this life force, this physical body. That's to be able to stand in love. It's not, a, it's not a time for judgment. It's not a time for criticism. It's a time for compassion and caring and love. To offer the family deep love for ourselves, for them. And see, what, and the spirit is eternal. One of the pieces that, that Marcia Sutton gave me when we were there is is that the reason that the textbook for us is alive, the reason that sacred text is alive is because the consciousness of all the authors of the Bible are still evolving. Ernest Holmes' consciousness is still evolving. Jesus of Nazareth's consciousness is still evolving. The Buddha's consciousness is still evolving. So when we go back and we read a passage or we read a chapter over again, and it's new for us, it's because the consciousness continues to evolve. And so one of the things, practices she gave me, and which I use every day now, for my father, who's made this transition, my grandparents, for Laura's dad, is that I'm supporting and loving them and knowing that their consciousness continues to evolve because the truth about all of us is our consciousness. And so when we think about Gordon and we think about Pat and we think about Alex, what we want to do is show up in love. And what we can do then is take the action in our consciousness and awareness to know that, and to know and affirm for them that their consciousness continues to evolve that we hold them sacred and beautiful and wonderful. And one of the practices I'm going to invite you to participate in with me right now is one of the things Marcia gave us. For all of us, and you can do this silently when you're driving down the road, but I'll model it for you if you'd like to join me. But for all of them, to say, I raise you and I praise you in the name of love. Let's try that together. I raise you and I praise you in the name of love. I raise you and I praise you in the name of love. Let's all stand up and do that together. And let's say their names. I'll say their names and we'll raise and praise them three times. So for Gordon and for Pat and for Alex, I raise you, I praise you in the name of love. I raise you, I praise you in the name of love. I raise you and I praise you in the name of love. And so it is. Thank you.